Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus Van Staden of the University of Johannesburg Center for African Foreign Policy and Diplomacy. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. And a very good afternoon uh, to Solange Gouachalala, who joins us once again on our show. I think, again, she holds the record now for the, the most visits on our show, and we're thrilled that you have that top spot, Solange. Uh, Solange is a research associate at the Max Planck Institute for Social Anthropology in Halle, Germany, and also a PhD candidate at Sciences Po in Paris, but she is far better known as being, in my view, uh, one of the world's leading uh, scholars on China-Africa relations with a particular expertise on uh, on Zambia and you know very very few people have had the unbelievable access that she's had in Zambia to not only the political elites who are there, so the Michael Sadas, Guy Scotts on the Zambian side, the Chinese embassy uh, on the PRC side, but then also on the kind of granular level of the day-to-day life, the the farmers, the workers, uh, who she spent a lot of time with. One of the ways, the reasons that I know about this is because Solange is, in addition to being um, an accomplished academic and, and scholar, she's also an accomplished filmmaker as well. She's worked on two documentary film projects uh, in Zambia, one with the Francis Brothers, which is uh, When China Met Africa, which I think to date is probably by far the best-known China-Africa documentary. It was an amazing project, and I definitely encourage you to go check it out. Uh, and then there was another one more recently. Uh, I think it was 2011, correct, Solange? Um, with Al Jazeera English. Yes, shot in 2011, but uh, distributed in 2000 and broadcast in... 2012. And that was on Al Jazeera English, known, and that was King Cobra and the Dragon. So we're going to take a look today at what we're calling the narrative of the China-Africa relationship. There's a media narrative, which Solange has experienced. There's an academic narrative. And then there's a journalistic narrative. And we really want to talk about these kind of key trends that are happening in, happening in the narrative. So uh, Solange, when we step back a little bit from the broader China-Africa relationship, how do you think we're doing now when it comes to the narrative? There's a lot more media coverage about China-Africa. There's things like what we're doing when we have 106,000 followers on our Facebook page and we're posting you know, 20 articles a day sometimes on our page. There's a lot more volume of content. Do you think the narrative has changed over the past, say, five to six years about uh, who the Chinese are, how they're engaging in Africa, and what the broader relationship is? Right now, it's hard to say that they're really sort of, you know, one fixed narrative that defines the entire debate. Um, you know, it, it, it's a global phenomenon, and, and people around the world are talking about it. But um, it, it, this, the, the whole, let's say, the intensification of, 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 of Chinese ties or, or China's relationship with the African continent and various African states has always attracted more attention from journalists and bloggers and personal individual commentators than it has from other from other spheres and what we've seen in, in recent years is obviously well is, is a sort of a parallel growth in in obviously academic scholarship but also in um, more sort of artistic forms of interpretation um, so through film documentaries for instance or through artists music filmmakers things like that um, has that let's say proliferation of interest and proliferation of voices led to the consolidation of a new voice, of a new narrative. I think it's too early to tell, but it certainly broadened the base of discussion, broadened the base of debate. Um, You mentioned earlier there were sort of three different narratives. I think you said academic, journalistic, and media. For me, journalist and media is sort of roughly 
quite similar. But what I, I would say there would be more sort of, there's an, clearly there are questions and methods that define what an academic debate is, and there are also sort of methods um, and debates and certain key issues, primarily financial, um, which determine, you know, how 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 debates within journalistic circles take place. But also the third one, I would say, is, is you know, the debates that are taking place on the ground, you know, how the actual actors on the ground are, are seeing it. And what I see, if anything, is that, you know, the, 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 the everyday realities and the priorities and the issues that are hot and important for people on the ground are not those that I see being um, spread across the papers or even in the academic journals that I'm reading. It's very rare that I see um, the, 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 yeah, the everyday issues that, are, that, that matter for people, both the Chinese and the local host society themselves, featuring in these two other, in these two other spheres. But that is changing, and, there are, there are, and it will continue to change, and there are gradually new voices that are coming in that help us to define things in, in different ways, to give us new names and a new language to talk about a very complex phenomenon. I suppose one way to pull some of the the, the on the ground concerns into into a form that that it's more accessible to the rest of the world is social media. Um, yeah. can, do you have an idea of how social media is changing the kind of debate on China Africa? And is there some are, are there spaces where China and Africa are actually finding each other? You know, kind of and, and kind of having the same conversation about these issues. Well, I I I, I don't know because I haven't really specialized in that so I don't um, look at that I don't focus on this particular issue in particular although it is fascinating um, all I can say is that there's certainly a lot of uh, social media within the Chinese people that I work with who discuss amongst themselves certainly particularly amongst the younger um, younger generations who, who like to debate these things and there is growing interest in China it's it's still quite dormant and it's still quite specific um, and specific groups who are interested in these issues who, who sort of reach out and ask what's really going on and who, who want to have more sort of, you know, um, fieldwork based empirically, empirical cases on which to, to base their ideas. Um, and the same thing is happening, let's say, on, 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 on the African side. I know that there are certain circles in Zambia, um, also pockets amongst the diaspora who, who, who like to, to, to debate these issues specifically. Are there places where they can meet and, and, and those two come together? I wouldn't say there are no currently there are no sort of institutionalized venues where people can really debate these things. You have obviously you know the historical ties between universities, between academic institutions, and, and that are now being complemented with new um, relationships that are being established with media institutions, um, different form of training institutions to, to encourage that sort of exchange. But a sort of you know a big open social media platform where everybody and anybody can sort of join in and, and who want who wants to join in and participate. I, I, I haven't yet seen that. You know, Cobus, I think um, the social media side of it is interesting because it's given rise to, to small niche voices. So you see, for example, on our Facebook absolutely. page, you know, all of a sudden the China-Africa relationship for, for a group of people who are obsessed with ivory and concerned, rightfully so, about the, the slaughter of elephants and rhinos, that's it. That's the China-Africa relationship for them. Then we saw, for example, on Weibo uh, in, you know, about the, the backlash against uh, Chinese migrants in Ghana, you know, a lot of people on Weibo reacted very, very strongly and just kind of, you know, were, were, became very anti-African. So in some ways, again, these very, these, these verticals of, 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 of topics uh, shape people's opinions based on their own interests and that social media then echoes and reaffirms those, those views. I think, in, in, yeah, I completely agree. I think in other ways, 
you know, kind of one of the problems with social media is that it, it, it's so atomized and that it tends to kind of drift off into these clouds of, of discussion. One of the value, very valuable things about filmmaking, you know, as a way of, of discussing this is that it kind of, you know, it's, people tend to see what they want to see in, in, in film. You know, kind of film is such a complex medium and people tend to use it as a kind of a mirror to, to, to mirror what, they, what, what they're concerned about. But in a way, it's much more limited mirror and it's a much more focused mirror and, and it, it gets people to talk about certain things that you put in front of them. Um, Solange, um, have you gotten a, an, an impression of, you know, kind of shopping or, or, or showing the, you know, the same films that, that you've worked on to a bunch of different audiences in Africa, in a, you know, kind of to Chinese audiences and to North American European audiences? Have you gotten an idea that people read the same thing differently? Absolutely, of course. No, they read things very differently. But just like, again, um, well, it, it, I can give you an example. I mean, so, some people who, who, who watch, um, for instance, Where China Met Africa see that and complain that, let's say, that the Chinese, in a way, are let off. You know, that they have, they have access, access to grind with the Chinese and that this film somehow, you know, cleanses them of all their sins and, and therefore they're, they're, they're let off too easily. Whereas others, I've heard, you know, people asking me, you know, has the film been, was the film sponsored by the Chinese government, you know, in order to promote, you know, China's image on the African continent. So, you know, according to who's watching it, people are going to see very, very different things. But I think that also was part of the purpose of, of, of when China and Africa was to some sort of encourage a, a debate. Um, that said, you know, does that film represent all the voices on the ground and all the different stories to be told? No, I don't think so. I mean, it's limited to three, you know, particular stories um, who all focus on men in particular and, and, and I think represent also one side of the story, namely the sort of dynamic, the, the go-getting, the, 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 the motivated, enthusiastic, you know, um, dynamism now that is, that is gripping Africa and that is, that is leading it, apparently, um, on its way to modernization. Um, there's a whole other story to be told, which is those who, who are not succeeding or those who are going over there as wives or even as husbands who don't work and who depend on their wives or those uh, who young people who are struggling when they come of age in, in such a distant and alienating country. Um, there's also all those voices to be taken uh, in, which which... You know, I, I don't see that happening yet. I mean, even even the, 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 the film King Cobra and the Dragon, which I was lucky to film uh, a couple of years later for Al Jazeera, in, in both films, I mean, and I'm going to be my own critic here, in both films, you, you don't really move away from China being the primary source of economic and geopolitical change. You know, so we, ba we you know, we, in a way we perpetuate this, this simplistic view where we reduce China down to, you know, a purely economic and political strategic agent. And, you know, what I tried to do, um, and which I had the opportunity to do more in the second film, was to try and broaden that as much as possible. So we had to negotiate, you know, with the commission, commissioning editor in order to show, you know, a, another view of that, which is why I tried to bring in, you know, the voices of children to show, you know, how that trickles down from one generation to another, how we can see this radical contrast of assimilation between the father and his daughter, you know, who are, you see, speaking with a very strong local Zambian accent. Um, and I also tried to bring in, you know, women, um, into this picture to try and, you know, mix it up a bit. But nowadays, it's the, the, the main narrative, if you like, that I see, or that the core sort of story that is being told is, 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 is China as power. And 
you know, there are a lot of things going on outside of this power or in the margins of this power. And I think that's also something that deserves to be looked at. Because I think ultimately those sort of marginal issues, those people and those topics that are sitting at the periphery of this debate will inevitably come back and feed into that whole dynamic relationship and will play a much greater role in shaping things to come than we suspect. Yeah, I mean, up until recently when we talk about narrative, you know, in the media uh, and even in academia when it comes to Africa, it's always been in a Western context. It's been RFI from the French, it's been BBC, even Voice of America to some extent that really set the tone for what the, the narrative would be. But today... The situation is changing as you know, as the internet, as we talked about with Cobus, with social media. But the Chinese and the Africans themselves want to tell their own story, independent of the Western narrative. And have you seen, when you see, for example, the rise of African media online, and when you see what the the advances that the Chinese are trying to do with you know the implementation of CCTV Africa, China Daily in South Africa, have you seen an, a, an evolution of the narrative as more African and Chinese voices have contributed to the, to, to the media? I mean, as you know, uh, Eric, I'm not a big uh, follower of the media, including social media. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's true, ironically. But um, so I can't really say. But from what I've seen, what, what I see is more of the same. I see more things emerging, more things being written, more, more things being published, more things being filmed. But I see more of the same. And I think what we're not seeing is um, a new story with China or an African country with a different role. So what you're seeing, if you like, is, is are different plays or, or different, you know, scenarios or screen or scripts, but constantly bringing back the same role, you know, the same hero or the same anti-hero. And this is, I think, where the narrative would be interesting to see, where the narrative will change is when, you know, the hero is no longer the hero and the anti-hero is no longer the anti-hero, but they have new roles because they, they might be inventing something new or maybe something different is happening. And that's, I think, when it becomes interesting. And as that, I have yet to see. Okay, Kobus, you you know follow this far more closely than Solange does, admittedly. Um, what's your thought on this in terms of the emergence of, of Chinese and African voices in the kind of broader media space and, as it relates to the, the narrative? Um, you know, kind of it's a short question with a long answer in the sense that there, you know, kind of there's a prolifera- proliferation on the internet of, of different kinds of voices and different kinds of reporting. Um, but I think it, it is also at the same time easy to overstate that. When, when you, when you're reading a lot of, of African press, you do see a lot of right, a lot of appearance of the same agency copy, for example, you know, kind of if you read print. Um, you know, kind of there's, there's a lot of replication of, of, of uh, you know, of, of certain Western agencies and now, you know, rising Xinhua more and more. Um, I think also that um, people, I, I tend to agree with Solange, is that people tend to be locked into certain kind of meta-narratives. And one of the most pernicious ones, one of the most difficult ones to, 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 to complicate has been a, a certain idea that Africa has always acted upon. Um, and you see, one of the, one of the reasons why it's so difficult to, to, to question is that it's frequently replicated by Africans themselves as a kind of a, an unquestioned assumption. Um, I think in the case of South Africa, particularly, there is a, a growing awareness that South Africans themselves are interacting with China, with China, um, in many complicated ways. Um, and that it's impossible, that it's important to, to, um, to question it, but I think that's still very early days. I think it's very, very necessary to question it in much more creative kind of ways. 
you, you know, so yeah, I mean, I mean, put it in another way. What you're seeing is, you know, basically more voices that are saying yes, we are for, or yes, we are, ag- or no, we're against. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. What you have is, in fact, these, it's a kind of crystallization of of, of this dualistic configuration of this dynamic where you know the Chinese on, on on their side will be sort of you know emphasizing one side more than the other. Yes, we're helping, and yes, we're contributing to human development, and yes, we're you know they're also um, reinforcing an existing narrative. Not that there are no dissident voices in China. There are. Um, they, you just don't tend to hear them. But there are some very value, very interesting. Um, critical voices emerging in China as well. Um, um, but in Africa, that's what I see. I tend to see, you know, it's either more pro or more against, you know. There are no one who really wants to sort of open this up and unpack it and say, well, maybe, you know, China is not just all about this. this. Maybe, he's not, maybe, maybe China is not Superman. Maybe China is not a hero. Maybe China actually is a mother, a caring, aging, ailing old mother who had basically, you know, been looking after her baby chicks you know, for I don't know how long, for instance, you know, or maybe exactly. China is yeah. actually, or maybe China is actually a, a beautiful village girl who's walked out and who's, you know, um, excited the hearts of all these young men around her, you know. China is not necessarily the superhero who comes and saves the day or ruins everything. For exactly. Everything. There exactly. are different roles and maybe, out there. Yeah. And the more these roles and, and, are told, the more we think we see a different picture of things. Exactly. And, you know, and to connect to that, maybe Africa is not a young village girl with, with lots of men after her. You know, kind of maybe, maybe Africa should be seen in, in another kind of role that is Absolutely. not one, you know, kind of where people are either mistreating Africa or saving Africa. You know, kind of maybe, maybe there exactly. are other kind of ways of thinking about that. Exactly. And not Africa the victim. So, so let me, let me now turn this into a, a part of the, of the discussion that you can speak competently on. So if social media is not your thing, academia might be. Uh, we spoke no, with... No, it's not either. <laughs> damn, <laughs> damn, damn, damn. Um, we, we had Sven... I can't speak about anything. Oh, so far you're doing great. So uh, Sven Grimm, who is the director of the Stellenbosch University Center for Chinese Studies, he made a very interesting point saying that we still have not been able... You know, this is still such a new phenomenon that the first generation of Sino-African scholars has really yet to be produced. Um, they have yet to do their research. They have yet to publish books. They, so the narrative in academia is still being driven by either African scholars who are interpreting China with no particular expertise in China or Chinese scholars who are kind of freelancing in the African space. And you're really asking people from another generation of scholarship to adapt to a new world. Both, yeah. And whereas Not only fluent in both, but also fluent in, in simple theory, you know, in, in, in basic principles of, of, of social development, really, you know, in in, in, a, in you know, political ideas and economic ideas and ideas around sociology. You know, it's, 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 I think it's, the, the task ahead of us is a lot larger than what most people uh, assume because we're using the tools that we have already acquired, which have already been developed by our, our predecessors and, our, and have been given to us to analyze the reality of today. But I think the reality of today is, is, is very, very different and it's changing at such a phenomenal speed that we're really going to have to play with the paradigms or the parameters that we're used to operate in in order to kind of move forward with the realities that are taking place on the ground. I think what we, uh, it, the, the, the issue of the difference, there's no real major difference, to be honest, between, you know, a debate that's taking place amongst academics and a debate that's taking place amongst journalists. In fact, some of the smartest people, the smartest things I've heard are neither journalists or academics, but they're just ordinary people who are thinking about what's going on, and they often have much better insights, much more constructive, much more illuminating insights than, you know, the, the, the articles that I've read and that I could produce myself. Yeah. And, and 
so I think maybe what distinguishes it on a technical level is, is a certain method and is a certain way of studying. But ultimately, we don't know what's going on, really, and we don't really know how it's going to influence our lives. And when I say our lives, I mean everybody, from someone sitting, you know, in a village in Hubei province in central China, or sitting in Beijing, or sitting in Oslo, or sitting in Brasilia, or sitting in Tel Aviv, or sitting in Joburg, or sitting in Lusaka, or Cairo, etc. You know, it's basically there is a, a fundamental shift in the way that the world is, is operating and the world is interacting with itself, or the humans are interacting with themselves. We just don't know where it's going to go. And I think that this new relationship that's happening with, you know, the, the, the developing, the ongoing developing relationship between China and Africa is, 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 is a reflection of that change, which is just, it's, to, me, to me, it's really just part of the story of a bigger story of, of, of how humans are changing. In this, in this global era. Yeah, but you're expressing a, really a, an unusual level of humility that most academics and scholars don't like to, to, to offer. Um, you know, and this is, I wrote a blog post uh, a couple years ago that said if you're over 35, you don't get China Africa. And, and, and the, the, the basis of I the post. I remember po- reading it, yeah. Well, the, the basis of the post was that, you know, for, for older scholars, um, you know, who were raised in the period of colonialism or raised in the Cold War of China, they're, they're, the, the framework of their thinking, the foundation of their thinking was shaped in a time that doesn't exist anymore. And I think, Kobus, to your point, this is where a lot of the victimization mentality comes from, which of course is in the, in the post-colonial era. And, and, and so I, I really believe that I'm very excited about when you finally get your PhD and Johanna Janssen the same way, who's cranking hers out, uh, uh, you know, in Denmark, that there's a new generation of, 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 of PhD and scholars that, that Sven Grimm talked about as well that have yet to emerge that will help define uh, this new space. So um, the fact – but let me just agree with you 125 percent that the most interesting stuff that you hear is from everyday people on the ground and not from uh, – not Absolutely. from Absolutely. Because you know, I would. I don't think I would. Well, I actually, I would definitely not class myself as you know the first generation of China African scholars. Because at the end of the day, you know, and it all depends on how how much you want to relativize. At the end of the day, we're just people with opinions, you know, or with an idea on something, you know, which is constantly changing. And there's nothing really to say that this opinion or this book or this argument or this theory necessarily weighs better than another. I mean, it may seem to or appear to weigh better and, and look more pertinent. Um, today, but perhaps in 30, 40, 50, 100, 200 years' time, when we'll be looking back at this chapter of history and saying, oh, that was quite funny. Look at these people who are writing about this issue, thinking they had it all figured out. You know, they were so off the, off the mark. But, you know, we're not, we're not time travelers, so we won't know. But until now, we can just dig. We can just hang around these people and, and, and observe and look and think and share ideas and just see where we can go with it see how much we can understand. And then there's another issue of what does the understanding of this phenomenon do to actually influence and shape what is happening? And that is a whole other discussion because it's not people who have the knowledge necessarily or the insights who are making the decisions. Um, and that interface is not being, is, is, is not really being shaped. People, will, I, that's, a, that's, a, that's a problem that might be for another discussion, another, another debate for another time. But um, you know, discussions tend to be closed among a handful of experts and, and, and not necessarily brought out to the people who I think might be interested in, in, in knowing about these things, which is why I think that initiatives like yours, the China-Africa Project, is, is fantastic, is absolutely fantastic. And it clearly reflects the new needs and the new desires and the new, you know, the, the hunger for, for, for information and to be able to, you know, the, 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 the opportunity to be able to express themselves 
for the your users, for the people who, who go on these uh, on these platforms. And I yeah. think it's a, it's I, a sign of certain things are, are changing. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it's also increasingly, for me anyway, it's increasingly going to be really important for people to be clear about their their own perspectives, their own limits, um, but then at the same time have the courage to speak as outsiders as well because there's such a yeah. there's such a, a, a you know a narrative and, and a demand for authenticity um, that you need to be speaking from the center of a culture. But as cultures are fracturing, you know, kind of and you have you have African hyphenates, you know, kind of like I am, you know, kind of people, people have, uh, you know, a very complicated background and a complicated experience and are, you know, kind of able in, in, in modest ways to kind of build ties between different kinds of experiences. I think that's going to be really yeah. important in the future. It is going to be important. But I think what is also very important is enabling those conditions which allow those, you know, very fragile but essential ties to be made, to be forged. Exactly, exactly. You know, and I think that's something that we don't often talk about at the conditions in which those new microlinks, you know, those tiny, tiny seedlings of, of, of connection on whichever level, you know, that take place. What are the conditions in which, you know, we can nurture that kind of that kind of exchange and turn it into something, I don't know, more creative and, you know, and, and fertile rather than destructive? Because I think sometimes mm. in many cases the line between the two is so thin. Absolutely. Yes, exactly. Well, you know, so I guess the, the, the takeaway here is that you know, the exclusivity that academia and uh, the, the journalism and media for traditional media have had on defining the narrative is, is ebbing now as social media and as people can have their own voices. And I guess that means, well, everybody can have their own voice. And one place that you can do that is on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash China Africa Project. One of the things that we're most proud of is the fact that um, this is a conversation for you, about you, and about the issues that matter to you. And we do very little modern moderation, actually. You know, I delete a little bit of spam here and there, and we get rid of, you know, anybody who drops the F-bomb or the S-bomb, but anybody who says kind of anything nasty and personal. But other than that, you see what you see is what you get, and it's an incredibly lively conversation. 80% of our following is under 35. Most of it is from Africa. Uh, Increasingly, we're getting some voices from the Chinese diaspora around the world, and so it's really one of the few places that people from around the continent can come together and talk about this, and we would love to have you participate. And so Eventually, when you make it onto Facebook, we'd love to have you kind of participate as well. Okay. <laughs> and, <Thanks>. uh, <laughs> um, but uh, until then, find us at facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Copus, if people want to follow what you're doing these days, where should they find you? Um, they'll see me on the Facebook page. My my name will be in brackets when I respond to, to comments. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Stadnesk. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And you can find me over on Twitter at E-O-Lander, E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. And I'm tweeting the top China Africa headlines almost every day. And, of course, if you want to follow our podcast, the best way to do it is to subscribe via iTunes. But you can also listen to us on SoundCloud, on your Android device and your iOS device. Just download our apps and the respective stores. Uh, And so, uh, you know, every week we're back with two or three different episodes on two or three different issues, and we'd love to hear from you. Leave a comment. Tell us how you think we're doing. Uh, And until then, we'll be back again later this week with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening.